Hear the word of God from John chapter 14. You can uh, follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. So it's John 14, the whole chapter. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know me and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father, and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now... I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. 
He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again, church family. I hope you're doing well. We're moving along in our series in the book of John. I know that we're moving rather quickly uh, through uh, this series in the book of John, mainly hitting the highlights or some of the main themes as we go. Remember that John said he wrote this gospel so that you may believe in who Jesus is. Today we're in chapter 14, and we see revealed to us in an incredible way the doctrine of the Trinity. Up to this point, we've seen bits and pieces of this doctrine. John 1, where the Word is God, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was sent. When Jesus was with John the Baptist, and John said he saw the Spirit come down upon Jesus like a dove. But here in John 14, we see this doctrine of the Trinity revealed in a new and awesome, incredible way. Difficult doctrine. I'm just going to be honest with you, the reason it's difficult is because there's not words or language for us that kind of comprehend something that's so beyond our comprehension. So this is, if you don't get this right away and after this sermon, or if you're not like, oh, the Trinity is so easy, or if that's what you're thinking, um, you're just kind of in the minority, because this is a difficult concept and a difficult doctrine. But we're going to dive into it. Chapter 14, we're in the upper room and are following the words and actions of Jesus in these final hours before he's arrested and taken to be tried and crucified. He was just in chapter 13, predicted and prophesied the betrayal of Judas by Judas Iscariot and the denial of Simon Peter. And in that sense, then, it's not surprising that his next words, of the, the first words of, verse, of chapter 14 is this, let not your heart be troubled. He knew the hearts of the disciples were troubled. They were agitated, Stirred up, confused, sad, anxious, all sorts of random emotions. They were in a glass box of emotions. And these feelings and thoughts were going through them. I was wondering if anybody got that, just out of curiosity. Thank you. They may have been fearful all their, for their lives. They knew what was going on in Jerusalem. They heard Jesus predicting his own death. They just heard words of Jesus predicting the betrayal by one of them and denial by another one. They were afraid, understandably afraid. And Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, in these first 14 verses, there are 11 of them that the words of Jesus himself. So 11 of these first 14 verses are the actual words that Jesus spoke. And on 12 occasions in these 11 verses, Jesus mentions the Father. One theologian has called this section the Father Sermon. Following this section, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples who are afraid, who are troubled, who are struggling with all these emotions. One of them is going to betray him. One of them is going to deny him. We're going to our deaths. What's happening? And they're troubled. He's saying to them, let not your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus' remedy for serious heart problems, for serious troubled hearts. Know and believe in the triune God. Are you here today and your heart is troubled? Are you frustrated, anxious, stirred up in your heart? Are you struggling? Are you in a place where you're like, you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know what the future holds, you're anxious, you're just troubled. I love that, just troubled. What does that word even mean? It's just stuff going on. Hear that Jesus says, don't let yourself be troubled today. Trust, believe, rest 
in the triune God that knows you, loves you, and calls you to him. His answer, his solution, our answer, our solution to you this morning, if your hearts are troubled, is do you know and believe? The knowledge and belief in this triune God should answer your heart's troubles. There are three questions that are asked in this passage of scripture. Three people, three separate people, and three questions that are asked. And though there have been probably more questions, this whole passage, I feel like this whole passage gives off this impression of like Jesus is talking, the disciples are just asking questions, a lot of back and forth. But John chooses to express three questions. One by Philip, one by Thomas, and one by Judas. And I believe in those three questions we see the comfort provided to us by this triune God. First question. So there's three questions. So just in case you guys are keeping notes, a good way to organize this. There's three questions, one by Thomas, one by um, Philip, and one by Judas. So the first question is this. Number one, Thomas's question. Lord, we, not, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus got, just got done saying that you should take heart. Believe in God and believe in me. He just said that he was going to prepare a room for them all in this big house. It's my father's house. Big, big. Anybody else started singing that song when you heard that? I did. I couldn't help myself. Right? I wanted to go play football. Right? Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And Thomas is often portrayed in the Gospels as the kind of the pessimist. You know, he's the one who's like a little more gloomy. He's like, hey, I, until I see his hole, I put my fingers in it. You know, he's that guy, doubting Thomas. He, he doesn't know the way. He's like, I don't understand, Jesus. You're going to go prepare a house. I don't know the way you're going. Here's what I want us to get by this question Thomas asked. Here's what I want us to see in this passage about Thomas and or about God. Number one. We want to see about, this is what I want you to see about God the Father, the first person of the Trinity in this question. It's three things. One, that he is holy. Two, he has a home for us. And three, he has made a way for us. Let me say those things again. For those of you guys who are taking notes, which I'm like, two people. Awesome, just kidding. All of you guys are. <laughs> three things about, I want you to see about the first person in the Trinity. One, he is holy. Two, he has a home for us. And three, he has made a way for us. Number one, he is holy. Thomas states that he doesn't know where Jesus is going. This kind of shows the innate separation that man has from God, the otherliness of his holiness. God the Father is perfect in every way. And his holiness creates a natural barrier and separation between us and him because he is holy and we are not. We are sinful. And there was a time when we were not in our sinful state, where before the fall of man, where we were living in intimacy, where we could be with the one that is holy. But because of our sin, there is a separation. And this separation shows us that he is holy, he is otherly, he is separate. This is expressed clearly in the Old Testament tabernacle. No one could approach the earthly dwelling place of God because to be imperfect in light of that holiness was such a contradiction and such an incredible mismatch that it couldn't coexist. Yes, God is love. Yes, God is forgiven. But yes, also God is holy. He is just. These things are not mutually exclusive in God. Do you hear me? Do you hear me very well? I feel like we've given this kind of modern day age idea of God as he's love. God is love and he's comfort. Yes, he is love. He is comfort. He's forgiving. Absolutely. But do not forget that he is holy. He's holy. He's set apart. He's righteousness. He's just. And they come together perfectly in him. And guys, can I tell you that we desperately need him to be that. But because he is holy, then we can know there is a standard of what is right and righteous in this world. 
Because he is beauty, we know that there's a standard of beauty in this world. Because he is justice, we know that the justice and injustice will be answered in this world. Do you hear that we need that just as much as we need to know that God is love? Does that make sense? God is holy. Two, God has made a home for us. Jesus said, in my Father's house there are many rooms. In other words, God's heart and plan for us all along was for us to be in fellowship and in relationship with him. Why else would he have a house with many rooms? Doesn't make any sense. You know, he's not just building a house to be like, hey, those rooms are empty. No, he wants us there. He wants us playing football. He wants us in, his father, in the Father's house. I can't help it. I want to sing it right now. <laughs> he has established us to be his people, and our citizenship is in heaven. I remember as a child, my parents and I helped my little sister. She's like three years younger than me. I remember taught our little sister, my little sister how to say her name, her, her age, and her address. Right? This is her name, address, and phone number. We did that because in case she was ever lost, you know, she was ever lost, she'd be like, my name is Jennifer, and I can be found at this address, and all this kind of stuff. It wasn't a good idea, actually, because my sister would walk around to complete strangers all the time, be like, hi, my name is Jennifer, I live here, blah, 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 and my phone number is this. Literally, all the time, nonstop. But the premise of it was this, it was that she would always know she had a home. The premise was this, that if she was ever lost, if she was in a place where she was alone and she was lost and she was scared, she could, no, 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 I can be confident that I know where my home is. I can get there. You get the point, I hope. God the Father has a home for us. He calls us his, and he wants us to know where our real home is. He wants us to know that there's a home prepared for us, that our citizenship is made in heaven, that we were made for relationship. So one, he is holy. Two, he has a home for us. And then three, he made a way for us. Jesus answered Thomas by saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and I don't know why, I got a lot of songs in my head right now. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to say my Savior lives. Do you hear this? That's what happened. God provided a way for that where there was no way. The Holy Father with the big house made a way for his wayward children to come home. He paid the cost. The penalty of his children's Rebellion, he made the way. This incredible, holy, righteous, just father whom we betrayed and whom we walked away from says, this is not where you belong. I have a home for you. There are many rooms in there for you. And while you've walked so far away, I've chased after you. I've sent everyone I know to tell about you. And then I've sent my son to die for you. I made a way for you. Will you come home? And for those of you who have come home, will you remember where your home is? Where your citizenship is? Whose you are? So I love these three elements of the, the first element of the Trinity, the first person of the Trinity. God the Father, he's holy. He made a home for us. He made a way for us. Let's look at the second question. Philip, Lord, Show us the Father and it is enough for us. In Jesus' answer to Philip, we see not only is Jesus the way to the Father, he's the way that God made for us, but through him we also come to know the Father. 
You see, he says to Philip that I'm the revelation of the Father. He says, Lord, just show us the Father. That's all we need. That's all we ask for. And it comes from Philip, who's more quiet, a deeply spiritual member of the disciples. And Jesus kind of receives that question, though, like with disappointment, doesn't he? He's almost like disappointed in Philip's question. He's like, really? You've been with me for so long. You've seen me do all this stuff. You've heard me talk. You've been with me so long, Philip, and you still don't get it? You don't understand that he who has seen me has seen the Father? I and the Father are one. What an extraordinary thing to say. I want to show you this passage has four things. So this is once again, taking notes. Four things about the second person of the Trinity. One, Jesus is the very revelation of God the Father here on earth. So the first one is Jesus is the very revelation of God the Father here on earth. Look at what it says here in verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. I am the Father and the Father is in me. There's an incredible early doctrine in the early church uh, called perichoresis and circumcessio. And it's basically the Son and the Father and the Father and the Son. It's a picture of communion and fellowship. It's like two people in love, gazing into one another's eyes, kind of concentrating, just like just being in love with each other. And that's the kind of picture Jesus is using. Is they have this eye-to-eye, face-to-face intimacy. No one knows the Father like the Son knows the Father. And no one knows the Son like the Father knows the Son. John chapter 1, verse 18 says, this is how John puts it. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten God. God, the one and only who is in the... The, the bosom of the Father, he has, John says Jesus has exegeted him. He has told us what the Father is like. What does that mean, exegeted? It's this idea is he has expounded upon, he has defined, he has interpreted, he has given definition to who the Father is for us. You know, when you go to your kids and just ask them questions and they give the best answers, and the kids can be like, hey kids, what do you think God is like? And you know, your answer is like, oh, he's big, he's strong, he might have a beard, I don't know. But the best, most biblical answer could be the typical Sunday school answer. When you just say words like, somebody ever, just, just in case you're ever wondering, if you ever have like a Sunday school pop quiz, just say prayer, Jesus, and you're good to go. And you can ask somebody, hey, what is God like? You can literally say God is like Jesus, and that is the correct answer. God the Father is like Jesus because Jesus reveals what God is like. There's nothing that is in Jesus that isn't in God. How can we know the Father? Jesus makes him known. Do you guys get that? He's the very exegesis of the Father. He's the very interpretation. He's the very translation. He's the very, he's the epitome of, he's who the Father is. If you want to know who God the Father is, guys, look at Jesus. Two, the Son speaks the Father's words. He says in verse 10, I speak the Father's words. It's interesting that in the rest of the section, Jesus is reminding them of what he's already said. He's reminding them of some of the things he's said before in his ministry with them. In John 5, he had spoken of what his relationship with the Father had been like. He says, I do the Father's words. He said, I speak the Father's words. And so Jesus is saying, all the words that I speak, they're my Father's words. Do you get that? How often do we wish we say, God, just speak to me. God, will you just talk to me? And Jesus is saying, I am. Right? I have. I've spoken to you. Do what I say, and you're doing what God spoke to you to do. Right? Simplistic, isn't it? But it's so true. Jesus spoke the very words of the creator God of the universe. Get that. With the word, God the creator created the heavens and the earth. 
And these very same words are being spoken through Jesus. And these are the very words of life. Same exact power that created the world. Three, the Son does the Father's works. The signs in John's Gospels, the miracles that we talked about, the signs that we've been talking about up to this point, what are they? There are signs of what the Father is like. There are signs of the Father's purpose in this world. He restores one who is blind that he may see. He raises one who is dead that he may live. He heals the cripple that he may walk. Our Father, hear this, I'm going to say this again very well, very loud, very, I'm going to proclaim this. Our Father is in the business of recreating a fallen and broken world. Our Father is in the business of recreating a fallen and broken world. So what does Jesus do? He does the Father's works. He's in the act of recreating a fallen and broken world. It's the heart of the Heavenly Father that Jesus is making known. He's making known the heart of the Father. He's by saying, when I heal the blind, when I raise the dead, when I cast out the demon, when I fix the lame, what is broken in this world, I will make right, is what he's doing. He's doing the very heart of the Father. He not only speaks the Father's words, he does the Father's works. Do you hear that? And then four, the Son displays the Father's glory. The essence of who God is, the transcendence of his being, what makes him God, Jesus says he displays all of that. He said it before chapter 13. He goes on to say something quite extraordinary. He says in verse 12, and greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. He says, I do these works to display the Father's glory, but when I go to the Father, greater things will be revealed. Now we've seen greater things, great things that Jesus has done. Right? We've seen people come to know him. You've seen him make fishers of men. We've seen the blind see, and we've seen the dead come alive. How in the world are we going to see greater things? Well, we saw it happen, didn't we? In Pentecost, we saw 3,000 people converted in one day from all over the known world, from, from all over the area of what we might call Mesopotamia, the, this, this region of the ancient Near East. Apart from when Jesus was a baby, he actually never left Israel. He never left, never left the land of Judah, Palestine. He was in an area smaller than the Mississippi, right? He'd never been to North America, never been to Asia, never been to all these other areas. But what's happening now? Greater works than even Jesus did. This, this gospel, this kingdom advancing has gone to the ends of the earth. We see greater works, don't we? But only because Jesus first displayed and manifested the very glory of God. He saw then what he showed then in and of himself. This is the work that God is doing. He's only speaking the words and doing the work of the Father. And he's displaying in his power, in his might, in his majesty, and in his humility. The glory of God. And in so doing, he gave us the ability through the third person of the Trinity to see even greater works happening. Third question. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Judas asked a very legit question here. Not Judas Iscariot, mind you, a different Judas. I love how it has that, not Iscariot, right? Man, can I tell you, if my name was Judas, I would have been so angry at Judas Iscariot. I mean, what a ruin a name, what a jerk. Seriously, like, Judas is like, yeah, probably a cool, normal name, but now from now on, from the course of history, for the rest of history, now it's associated with a terrible jerk. I'd be like, dude, ah, oh, man. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I would have been very bad at Judas. It's scary. 
Jesus is telling his disciples that he's leaving them, but he won't leave them as orphans. He's saying to them, another helper will be with them forever. Then Jesus says, I will manifest myself to them. Judas asks, how will you manifest yourself to us and not the world? And that word manifest is a little tricky. It means to make what is hidden known, to make visible, to make known by teaching. So Judas is saying, how will you reveal yourself to us when you are gone, but at the same time, not to the world? And here's the third person of the Trinity. Two things I want us to get about the second person of the Trinity is this. Number one, the Spirit manifests truth. The Spirit manifests truth. And then two, the Spirit is our, and this is, you'll get why I say it like this here in a second, but the Spirit is our helper, slash counselor, slash advocate, slash paraclete. Okay? And we'll get to why I have all those slashes if you're taking notes later. Number one, the Spirit manifests truth. What does that mean? At one level, we know the Holy Spirit authored, essentially authored the Bible. The Holy Spirit literally is the author of the Bible. Second Peter 1, it says, No prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Then there's John 6, 63, where Jesus says, The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. In other words, the words of Jesus you see in the Bible are produced by the Spirit. And if you embrace them and receive them, understand them, they will give you eternal life. So the Holy Spirit, at one level, is the author of Scripture. Ephesians 5.18 says this famous passage, be filled with the Spirit. And if you go to another one of his letters, Colossians, if you go to chapter 3, Paul um, wrote these letters to different churches, but he often said similar things. It says, be filled with the Word. And then it makes a list of Word-filled life. He says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, which is the same as be filled with the Word, and then he gives a list of traits. And these are the same traits Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18, where it talks about traits of a spirit-filled life. So in other words, in two different letters, Paul's giving an illustration of one that is if you're filled with the Word and one that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and the traits are the same. Do you see what I'm saying? What does this mean? Well, to be filled with a person, to be dominated by a person, which, mind you, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an impersonal force. You know, the Holy Spirit is not just impersonal idea or power or force. It's a person. And to be filled with a person is to be dominated by a person, to hang on that person's every word. It means to be saturated by Scripture, to let it dwell in you richly. To, um, it's not the same thing as information. It's to take it in, to make it a part of yourself. Right? An illustration is this. Another way you can look at it is like uh, looking at glasses. I don't wear glasses. But I hear that often people spend a lot of money to have glasses, right? All you optometrists are like, no, it's not a lot of money, I'm just kidding, I'm sorry. No. But they spend a lot of money to look at glasses. Well, when they get it, do that, I say, hey, look, look at my glasses. That would be foolish. You don't buy glasses just to be like, look at my glasses. You buy glasses so you can look through your glasses. Does that make sense? The difference between soaking in, being filled with the word, is not looking at the word for knowledge sake, say, oh, look how much word I have. It's literally the word, is how you look through at the rest of the world. You with me so far? Does that make sense? But this is in some way then, they're fulfilled with the word and be filled with the spirit is the same thing because he's a spirit of truth. But it goes beyond that. In verse 21 it says, whoever has my commands, that's the word, and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. What does this mean? 
And I want you to hear this. This is a little complicated, so I want you to stay with me. Here are some people who obviously believe in Jesus, who are obviously obeying Jesus, and they're reading the word of God. And Jesus says to them, I'll come and I'll show myself to them. In this passage on the Holy Spirit, he says, I will come and show myself to them. But what does that mean? These are people who already know Jesus. Um, they know who he is. So what, what does it mean that he'll show himself to us? And here's what I wanted to get. This is the Holy Spirit taking the words and making them manifest, making them life inside a person. Here's another place where Paul talks about it um, in Ephesians 3. Paul is praying for his friends and says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love has surpassed his knowledge, that he may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, Paul's talking to Christians here. And he says, I'm praying through the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ may dwell in your hearts. But Christ is already dwelling in the hearts of the Christians. So what he's really saying is, I'm praying by the power of the Spirit that you may have power to grasp how high and long and wide is the love of Christ. See, here's what I want, what Paul, what, what, what Jesus is saying here is literally saying, what will manifest, what will manifest my love, what will manifest myself to you is the Holy Spirit. Here's what I mean by that. There are times, guys, when you guys, when we're at this point in our lives where we just say the scriptures and knowledge, it's, it's kind of knowledge-based. It doesn't move us. Can't be just honest about that. You know, especially me, when I was in seminary, and just to be honest, I was so tired of reading seminary books. So honestly, I was tired of reading the Bible. You know, we're at the point where we had to read, every week we had to read like 400 pages. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much. And sometimes knowledge becomes knowledge. But the spirit is the spirit of truth, which is a different type of knowledge. Do you hear me very well? Let me explain it like this. Uh, I'm going to embarrass Greg a little bit. I, don't, I think he's with children, so it's okay. We were at an elders meeting um, the other day. And while in our elder meeting, Greg was just in there, and Greg's kind of an emotional guy anyway, but I'll say it, but, but during our elder meeting, literally Greg was just crying, just talking about how beautiful the word of God is. He shared with us, you know, I was just in this scripture, and it's just the word of God is what moves, and it's what changes, and literally weeping over his love and his devotion, and the rest of the elders, I'll just be honest with you, we're all like, huh? And then at the same time, I'll be in my heart, I was like, yes. The Holy Spirit is doing something in Greg's heart right now. He's revealing himself. He's manifesting himself, saying, I'm filling Greg up so that the word of truth is being more manifested so you can see who Jesus is, reminding him more and more that he is not alone. I love it. The Bible says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. The Holy Spirit will bring forth at the right time the words of truth that Jesus has given and for those of us who have not actually had the privilege of hearing Jesus speak face to face on this earth, he's giving us the words that we've heard Jesus speak through this Bible, through his scriptures, and he's bringing them up to life into us. He's manifesting it onto life into us. Guys, can I tell you, when the word of God becomes life onto you and you use it to see through, that is the Holy Spirit moving in you. Do you hear that? That is the second person of the Trinity moving in power in your life. I'll put it to you like this. It's one thing to know with your head that sugar is sweet. It's another thing to taste it and then be like on a sugar high after. You not only know it, you sense it. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. He's the author not only of objective truth because he wrote the Bible, but he's also the author of subjective truth. 
He makes it live in your life. He makes it live. The Holy Spirit makes scripture vivid and powerful. He makes it life-changing. That's the first thing the Holy Spirit does. That's the first thing he does in your life. He makes the words of God electrifying to you. Makes it real to you. He's a spirit of truth that manifests truth. Do you hear me? Number two, he's our helper, counselor, advocate, paraclete. I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper. Now, if we go right now to five, six, seven, eight different translations right now, we're probably going to see a bunch of different words for how he tra- trans- translates that words. Whenever you see English translations with that many different words for the translation there, for, the, for that many different words for that one word, that means the word is just too rich, too difficult, too rich, too complex for the English language to convey well. So all the translators are really struggling here. Some of you, maybe you have Old King James and it says, um, the comforter. Right, he's the comforter, which sounds great because it sounds comfortable, like, ooh, like a blanket. He's like a blanket. That sounds good. But maybe some of you are like, I don't like that. He sounds like a quilt. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with a quilt. Some of you have the word counselor. You know, I think the, I don't, I'm not sure which one. Which one does the counselor? Anybody have counselor? NIV maybe? I don't remember. Some of you have the counselor. Well, some of you have like a counselor, like, like, a, like a camp counselor or a marriage counselor or what, what kind of counselor are we talking about here? The actual word is paraclete, paraclesis, or paracletos. And it's a very, very difficult word to translate. Para means to, 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 to not to be in front of or behind, but to stand alongside. That's what the para part means. Kaleo means to declare, to call, to argue, actually. Right? So therefore, kind of the best way, often some people translate it, is I'm going to send you an advocate, like a legal advocate. Right? The word gets that cost idea on the one hand that this person is yours, this person stands in your position, represents you. So it's kind of like your lawyer, represents you, he argues for you, he's your advocate. This person is loyal to you to the end, this person who is for you in the strongest sense. On the other hand, it also has this connotation of arguing, which is what's so good about paraclete, or advocate as a definition. This is a person who debates, the person who makes a case. This is a person who defends you against your enemies, somebody who maybe sympathizes you, maybe that's where the counselor part and the helper part comes in, is this is a helper for you. Here's what I believe in. This, I got this, and this is Tim Keller, this next session right here. He really helped formulate this, and this is awesome. He says, the Holy Spirit's job is to defend you against the enemies here on earth, but especially the enemies inside your own heart. For example, Romans 8.15, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but has given us a spirit of his son who comes into our heart crying, Abba, Father. Do you know what that means? It means literally your heart is full of fear, is it not? Your heart is full of anxiety. Your heart is full of fear. And in the midst of that fear, in the midst of that time, the Holy Spirit comes in and argues and say, no, God loves you. You are his child. One verse later in Romans 8, 16 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The phrase bears witness is a technical Greek word that means to star witness in a court. You know, this idea that the Spirit itself bears witness is literally the idea that we got the star witness coming up. He's gonna win the case for us. The Spirit is our star witness. There is no reason to doubt you are his. You hear this, people. 
Because let me tell you right now, when you lay in bed and you're stressed out and you're worried about what's gonna happen tomorrow, when you look at your bank account, or when you look at the health issues, when you look at your children and you're worried and you're scared and your heart comes up with all these fears that exist in your own heart, that is when the Holy Spirit comes alive and says, I am your advocate. I will argue against the fears in your heart and say, no, you are a child of God. You cry out, Abba, Father, because your Father is with you. He is bigger. He is in control. And the first person, the second person of the Trinity is revealed to him. And the whole triune God gives you comfort. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? John 1 the first John 3.20 says, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Kind of a paraphrase here. But our hearts do not like the idea of grace. <laughs> we don't like the idea of the gospel. The idea that we're saved by grace. We kind of still feel like we want to earn it. We want to merit it. Because sometimes it puts us in control. And because our hearts have that part where, where, where we want to be in control. And if we earn it, if it's our by own merit, then we can control it in some way. We want to be God. But the Spirit comes in. He argues. He makes a case. He takes the gospel and pounds it into you. And he says, trust. Spirit of truth manifests in the words of God. says, you're a beloved child. When you start fearing, when you start worrying, when you start trying to earn your own salvation and earn your own standing before God, the Spirit of God comes and reveals and manifests truth to you. The Holy Spirit, when it sees our hearts tempting us away from God, knowing that this is going to destroy us, acts the way a loving friend acts towards an addict. When you, when you love somebody enough and you see themselves walking in a bad place, you see them walking a, a path of destroying their life, you get them into quarter and you stop them and you shake them and you say, no, stop doing this. I love you too much. Stop walking in this direction. Can I tell you this? If I've been to the Grand Canyon and I've never, I don't think I will ever take my son to the Grand Canyon until he's like really old. Because there's no gates. There's no fences. You know, like, it's just like you walk and all of a sudden, whoo, which is the dumbest thing in the world to me. Like, I'm like 50 feet away. I'm like, oh, it's pretty enough from here, you know? But if I saw, if I was there at the Grand Canyon, I happened to be, take my son, and I saw my son walking towards the edge of the Grand Canyon, you think I'd just be like, hey, Josiah, come on back, man. Josiah, I got Doritos, come on. No, man, I'm tackling my kid down. I'm chasing him down, I'm running him, I'm gonna throw him to the ground, I'm gonna tackle him. He's like, you're not getting anywhere near that edge. Guys, that's what a good friend does. That's what our comforter does. That's what our counselor does. Guys, that's voice in your heart. That what you call your conscience, what you call the still small voice. What you call, these are all kind of vague, weird ways of looking at the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is literally in your heart as a believer, is in your heart. He's arguing against your heart, arguing against your fears, and saying, do you believe? Yes, I believe. Call out to Abba, Father, do not walk down this path. Do not go that way to leads to destruction. Go towards the path that leads to life. Are you listening? Are you listening? He's our helper. He's our counselor. He's our advocate. He's our paraclete. Our paraclete. This glorious person, this Holy Spirit, he will not stop until you become the glorious person you should be. He's going to oppose anything in your heart that will hold you back, and he's not going to let you go. This is a friend whose love has oomph in it. This is a friend who's utterly for you, which means sometimes he is against you. 
He has come into your life and he's utterly committed to bringing the good work God began with you at the new birth to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to let you go. Guys, what brings us comfort? When Jesus saw his disciples were troubled in their heart, what did Jesus give them? What did Jesus tell them? He says, believe in the triune God. Believe that you're known and you're loved by this God. Believe that he's in control. He's speaking to you. He's made a way for you. That your citizenship is in heaven. And though you may have trouble on this earth, take heart. That the second person of the Trinity has overcome this world. And take heart that we'll do greater things because we have the spirit inside of us. And take heart that God has a room prepared for you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the triune God who loves us. We thank you, God, our Father, who made a way for us, who is holy and just and glorious. We thank you for the Son, who is a very representation of the Father. God, who died in our stead, who is alive and reigning today. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing and manifesting truth, for being our advocate. We give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen.